Welcome to Leadership Mindset, the podcast where we uncover the hidden gems of sales and business leadership. In each episode, our goal is to bring you up close and personal with the world's most accomplished business leaders. We explore their experiences, motivations, inspirations, and the challenges they've conquered on their way to the top. Grab a coffee and enjoy the conversation with today's guest, Netta Hootenen. Netta Hootenen, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Netta, maybe you could tell me a little bit about where you grew up and what kind of uh, early years it was like for you. Absolutely. So I'm currently in Helsinki, Finland, but this is not where I'm from. I'm from Eastern Finland, from a town called Kuopio, around 120,000 people, a bunch of lakes. So it's the kind of summer cottage capital of Finland, so to say, and spent all my youth over there until I realized that even though I love all my family and friends over there, the world is my oyster. and. Once I left, I never came back, so obviously to visit, but life has taken me towards different directions since then, but very lovely life, um, childhood over there, bunch of nature, um, studied a lot of mu- music back then, so very different life than what I have today. How far up is that in Finland, from, from the south? Good question, maybe 400 kilometers okay. northeast. Can, can you remind me the name of it again? Kuopio. I'm trying to think, because I, I was there visiting a friend. I don't know if it, 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 I don't recognize the name, but it was in that part, very close to the Russian border. Relatively close, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a beautiful part of the country, it really is. As you said, lots of fabulous lakes and nature. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm curious to know, um, you, you said you left there, what was, I presume that was to go to college? Uh, at first, yes. Yeah. Um, what do you miss about it? From Kuopio? Mm. Definitely the nature, the peacefulness all around. Uh, Even though for the rest of the world it might not be a big city, but in Finland it's a relatively big city. We're only like, what, 5.4 million people in total in the whole country. So it had everything I needed. Uh, you know, services, everything I needed, but still it was very down to earth, a lot of that nature. Even now, every time I go to visit, my family, a lot of them live by the water, very close by, so it's very easy to just walk by, relax, enjoy. That's something I I miss a lot, obviously, besides the family and friends, which I think goes for granted. That's, of Mm. course, something to miss. What do you think people misunderstand about Finnish culture? I think stereotypically we are thought as very, you know, introverted and very quiet, very, you know, just, I think, um, shy perhaps. That's often what I hear, but getting to know us, I don't think we're shy. We're just not as, of course, extroverted that, let's say, stereotypically an American or someone from southern europe would be but when you make friends with us we are very much like friends for life you get to know us we warm little by little but then when you get to the Mm. inner circle you really are there yeah quiet would be my i I know walking through helsinki it's just 
seems quieter than certainly if you go to Spain or Portugal or even the Southern Europe, European ones. Um, talk to me a little bit about then college years and in finding yourself uh, in terms of your own motives and what you wanted to do career-wise. Yes, I always knew I wanted to go abroad. I always knew I wanted to work in an international setting um, or let's say from a quite young age. And that's why also I've done all my studies in English. All my degrees are in English. And that also my first experience speaking in English, presenting in English, studying in English was of course in university. And through that, I was able to go abroad. And the first, <laughs> first time I went abroad was after I handed in my thesis, I was able to do exchange period in Mexico. And that's how it started. I didn't go back straight away. I stayed there. And after that, other countries and Finland was um, at that point, a piece of history for a while for a few years. But very much I was very focused on studying studies and that international atmosphere. I was very lucky to get into the school that I wanted. All the university here in here in Finland very much enjoyed it. Fantastic uh, professors, lecturers very much enjoyed that time of my life. What did you learn about yourself uh, in traveling as a younger person? I think it really showcased me two things. Like first of all, how well off we are here in Finland. Like we are welfare society country over here and comparing that for example to mexico where things are very different and the the difference between rich and poor is very you can see it just by walking down the street which which in finland you might not or if in finland we pay a lot of taxes but we also do get certain benefits free healthcare, free education if i would be laid off today government would help me out while I'm searching for a new job, for example, which is not the case in the majority of other countries, unfortunately. And second of all, in, in addition to that appreciation, I realized how much of a bubble I had lived in. I literally lived in a bubble. I did not realize. I thought I did. I had studied in an international environment. I had work with different kind of people, learn different cultures, bit of other languages. I thought like, yeah, I know how to do this. This is great. This mm -hmm. is fine. You know, you're young and well free and you think you know everything ready to conquer the world. And I realized like, wait a minute, life is not safe. Life is not easy. Uh, life is not always fun, even though I had, like, I had fun. Let's put it that way. I enjoyed every moment. I would do it all over again. But just realizing, for example, when I was walking down the streets of Mexico, that in the evening I couldn't do that by myself. Mm. And in Finland, it's like if I would walk home after, let's say, a college party, for example, if someone would approach me, it would probably be to just check, like, am I okay? Do I need anything? Like, you know, most likely a friendly face. And in Mexico, it was the other way around. For example, if someone would approach me in the evening, I would probably switch on the other side of the street. And this is not to say in any way, I love Mexico uh, and Mexicans. I have pl plenty of friends over there. 
not everyone is like that, that and not every place is like that. But really the contrast between what I I was used to and how, you know, everything was safe and easy. And I realized that, you know, that's that's not the reality of the world, unfortunately. I'm wondering, listening to that, are there connections between the two, as in by having a strong welfare state where there's protections? Does that create a different culture vis-a-vis, say, Mexico, where you don't have those protections? And in terms of what happens as a result, that it's less safe? Or is that oversimplistic? I would go the easy way here and say both, most certainly. Uh, I think every decision has consequences. Mm. Um, The same goes with how you build your society, if there is welfare, if there's not, how you tax people, um, everything. We are what our environment is. Like, sure, we do inherit certain genes, but in the end, our environment molds us. And, um, you know, if you grow up in a different environment, you are more, how would I put this, where you're, you're likely to make certain life choices. So I do think it has an impact, but I I wouldn't say, I can't say that there's a clear, direct line. I think that would be oversimplistic. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I'm, and I'm, I know it is. I'm kind of just being a little bit provocative with it because the other thing I've seen, and again, it's just very limited experience in this, is that countries that have grown up eh, overshadowed by an external threat often, when I say look inwards, they they form stronger bonds internally because of that external Mm. perceived physical threat. Um, Yeah, probably an oversimplification as well, but probably Mm. one of the multivariate factors that go into cultures that are are self-reliant and self-supporting. And you certainly Mm. have that in spades in Finland for sure what the causes are is multifactorial and um, what I am fascinated about you talked about the bubbles and, and experiencing the bubble effect mm-hmm. what are some of the other bubbles you've ex- so that was a societal cultural bubble mm-hmm. what are some of the other bubbles that you might have experienced in your role as a leader in 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 the corporate environment a business environment shall we say I don't want to pick on companies but in the business environment. yeah I think Every time you think people like things are stable, they're not. Like that, it might be a cliche. This like only constant is to change, mm. but that's how it is. That's how I feel. The moment you feel like, okay, this is it. I've got it. There's going to be a new process introduced. Okay, this is it. I have it. Your star perf- performer quits. Okay, this is it. I have it. Oh wait, we're going through a merger and acquisition exercise. Whatever it is, I feel like that's that. It's like it's a constant. You don't even get into that bubble anymore because mm. it's like ongoing change. You're going with the river. You're going with the flow. That's how it is at the moment. That's the, at least how I see it. Mm. And one very concrete example of that, I think, would be internal politics. That's another thing. Um, being quite frank, I've always hated it, <laughs> but. 
you can't escape from it. I think that's something you need to not only understand how to lead a team or how to discuss with um, customers, prospects, partners, but also internally and manage up. I think that's a huge thing that no one should underestimate uh, in their job. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things they don't teach in university. Absolutely not. No. Yeah. It's mad. Because I think people would, would, would first of all, be more informed to make choices about what career they wanted. Mm -hmm. And secondly, assuming they wanted to go into that maelstrom of, of, of corporate environment is at least they're more prepared for it. And they know what to expect and what kind of role they perhaps they want in that as well. So, yeah, it's interesting. But uh, uh, may, maybe that's because academics don't understand that. I don't know. Again, that's a, a huge generalization. Mm. But um, yeah, uh, what I'm interested also in, uh, Neta, is that in terms of who you are now, if I were to have known you as a child, what would I have noticed then? I'd be able to say, oh yeah, that's, it, it's, it's no wonder. That's, that's who she was. What, <laughs> what are you like now uh, versus what you were like as a child? Apparently, I uh, sometimes tend to disagree, but I can see the uh, see some of the same traits. But according to my mother, I was extremely competitive. Um, I was I was the one who, for example, I did cross country skiing when I was little. Um, I've never gotten as mad as when I had an ear infection and a cold, and I couldn't attend mm. to this like kids, you know. A competition and my little brother my younger brother got to go like I was screaming and kicking I was like no I can do this because I just couldn't let it go like it was a competition I had to go I had to do my best probably win and also win my little brother of course be better uh, so I've always been very very competitive so you know those kind of things are the things that my mother typically tells me about and can you point to where that comes from? <laughs> I blame my mother. <laughs> strong genes, strong women um, in the family. Uh, also, my grandmother, everyone is very strong-minded women, uh, which, you know, I say that I'm introverted and quiet, but I guess if you compare to a very, you know, stereotypical fan, I guess I am on the extrovert side, but then when I compare it to my international friends, I feel very, very quiet. <laughs> mm. So, how did you end up in sales? Exactly like that. Ended up. I think you made a good point there that there are a lot of things that universities don't teach us. They teach us a lot of good theory, um, different kind of processes, practices, you name it. But when it comes to what happens in real world and what to expect there is a gap within between um, what is taught and the practicalities no one tells you how to fill out your tax forms <laughs> or anything like that like how to actually survive in 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 real life and for me um i impressed some recruiters during this um this company tour that I was participating in and, and part, partially arranging as well. 
and I had been in sales for smaller organizations, also done a lot of sales and part-time doing studies and so on and so forth. And then this recruiter approached me as I like, you know what, like you could actually do well in like proper enterprise sales in IT. And at that point I hadn't been in IT. I'd done sales in Finland as, you know, just to ways to pay the bills, not as mm. in like active career choice. But I thought like, okay, I'm going to go for it. I studied a lot. I got in and realized then that, wait a minute, I'm actually really good at this and realized that I actually like also IT. I'm very uh, outgoing in a way, not so that I like to go out with friends, but meaning that I like having interesting customer conversations. I like that, you know, constantly changing environment. Um, when it gets static, um, I get bored. And IT is definitely continuously changing. And just by realizing that this is something that I'm good at, there there's always shortage of good salespeople. And that ended up being my career track then. In your sales career, we'll get to sales leadership in a moment. What have you been most surprised by? There are probably a lot of things that I'm surprised. Um, I think a few of them are, the, or the ones that first come to mind are of course things that create emotions and uh, strong feelings within me. And typically those are difficult discussions. Um, for example, I was surprised because I'm quite often I've been in the minority group being a woman. So IT and sales tends to be very male dominated. So even in today's modern society, sometimes being a woman in the room is difficult. It's not, um, it's not that it's supposed to be easy, but I'm surprised that Sometimes still in certain contexts, um, one gets comments, especially in, the, in my early career days, uh, got some comments that were not appropriate. And even though so from customers, there are some comments that have really stuck with me that I remember, like, I will not repeat them here, but I remember like, okay, that's, that's not okay. And just the fact that, for example, when we might have huge conferences where a lot of customers would come in. I was actually, I remember the first time I was shocked that our organization back then um, had to have a briefing with everyone who was joining and attending. Okay, this is appropriate contact. You do know that when customers uh, attend these afterworks and so on and so forth, you know, take care of each other and these kind of things. And I was actually shocked, like, are you kidding me? Like this, these things still happen. And then I realized that actually, like, that's actually a really good thing to do, even though nothing would happen, there would be no inappropriate comments, nothing. It's good that we are aware of these things that if something would happen, you're, you know how to act, you're, you know, you're not alone, you can always signal a friend like, hey, I feel uncomfortable um, here, could you please join me? But I was actually shocked that these kind of things are more common than I thought. What's changed for you in the corporate environment, specifically from the perspective of a woman? What has changed? Um, definitely, I think minorities in general, but I, especially in this case, women, I think we've gotten 
our voices heard more. I've noticed these, there are a lot more mentoring programs. There are a lot more, you know, awareness trainings, all these kind of things, which are steps towards the right direction. Uh, most certainly, for example, one example of one of my previous organizations that I worked for, when I joined, there were two managers, two area managers, sales managers, who were women out of, I think, 16 groups or something. And I think we have five VPs in total within that sector, and none of them were men. Uh, sorry, none of them were women, all of them were, were men. And at that point, uh, I, a lot of female salespeople, uh, sales representatives asked like, hey, what does that tell me about my uh, possibilities for career progression in this organization? And that particular organization, I think they listened, they listened so well, it wasn't something like, oh, now we're going to just hire women. Of course not. But throughout a long period of time, throughout a year, they paid attention that they supported female sales representative to feel comfortable applying for those management roles when they came up. So having that sometimes even structure or having managers being aware that it's not okay boys club might be a cliche, but it's, it's a, just a fact that we are more, we are drawn to similar type of people. So that way, for example, the next year after a year when promotion rounds came, not suddenly, but after 12 months of work, we had more women rising the ladder and we had the first VP, um, no, not the first, obviously, but with like considering those five Five, uh, five first female joining that punch bunch group that that group so definitely i think organizations are more willing to willing to listen there's been a lot of studies about diversity so on and so forth we are more aware of the benefits of actually paying attention to these things not to mention people leave if they're not engaged and treated fairly so for sure Talk to me about your leadership journey, what it was like for you in transitioning from individual contributor to now leading a team. That was exciting and frightening. It was something I hoped to go towards. I had gone through a lot of different kind of manager trainings, preparation courses, things like that, making sure that I had certain capabilities ready which is really important because unfortunately, a lot of studies show that once people are in management position, within, during, when they are in that decision, position, they are not given um, support or training. Mm. So the enablement later on can be, you know, just lacking. Mm. But I did a lot of preparation on my, with, with myself on my free time as well. And then when I got my first leadership job, um, it was interesting because it was straight to a deep end. Um, I had a team uh, where one person had just resigned, one was on uh, on performance review, and it, it was very different. So it wasn't like I went straight to a high-performing team and could be happy, but it was straight to a deep end and working really hard. So definitely a steep learning curve for me. You mentioned that you'd done a few things to prepare for this. So for other people who are listening to this in a similar situation, what did you do beforehand that was, you felt was very effective in helping you make the transition? 
Well, I was lucky enough that my previous employers have had, for example, educational funds. So I enrolled with a couple of sales manager courses that I did before. Those are so good, kind of like formal check, checking the box, but also a really good understanding of, for example, how to manage conflicts, how to deal with difficult situation, how to gain trust within the team, because there are they're good things that you can think about. Like, for example, yeah. when you're having a difficult conversation you, within the team, you don't want to bring it to the team first, but you actually want to kind of have discussions in the background. So it's not a surprise that you have the support of the team before you bring that whatever the thing is on the table. Mm-hmm. And you learn different kind of um, processes, tactics, strategies like that. And I think that was really important. Not to mention, I read a lot nowadays, a lot of audiobooks as well. So I would definitely recommend that. There are a bunch of leadership books, a bunch of sales books. Um, so, you know, just just be a sponge and suck all the information you can. Yeah. In what you're doing currently uh, as a sales leader, what are the kind of things that give you a huge sense of satisfaction and accomplishment? people uh people people and people i think um, as the leader i'm a people person if any of my team members or employees around me are not feeling well for whatever reason i'm not feeling well if they are succeeding i'm succeeding Uh, i don't consider my personal achievements being as relevant as for the people around me and i think that's important also when you are a leader how you treat your people one of my previous manager sales managers once told me that if you take care of your people they will take care of your their numbers Mm. and that's something that i truly believe in the moment you start managing the numbers instead of the people that's that's when you're gonna have very disengaged Mm. people after a short amount of time yeah I can imagine that somewhere that you're looking at an individual maybe who's not, let's say there's two individuals in an organization not performing well, and one of them your gut feel is telling you that there's something that they have the potential and there's just something holding them back and that if you just work with them, they'll do well. And then there's somebody else and your gut feel is telling you that their heart is not in and and it doesn't make a difference what you do. How do you distinguish between the two individuals? I think gut feeling is very important, but when it's sales, you need to rely on the numbers. So what are they actually doing? What does the data show? And if, if let's say that the heart is not in it, it's, I think it's really important to have that individual conversation with that person and see if you can understand what the outlying reasons are. Mm. If it's, for example, something at home that is temporary, might be that there is a good chance that we can continue. But if it's more about the job not being the right fed, Mm. it's only fair towards that person as well that we have that conversation. Then for someone who is not performing necessarily at this point, but I can see that drive, I'm always investing in that drive. I always say that I can teach sales processes, I can 
teach product, whatever it is, but that internal fire, hunger, motivation, that's, that's tough to teach. Like it's my, my job to keep the flame, flame on going, pour some gasoline there to, you know, get to the next stage, get the next year on. But that is, that is tough to, you know, teach either Mm. you have it or you don't. And of course we are sometimes more motivated than other times. That's life. But I always, always, always invest in the potential, just desire, the coachability, the motivation mm. over, you know, I know this, 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 and this, and this. But if you're not coachable, I don't, I, I think that's a lot harder. Uh, I, I want to come back to something you said about investing in the drive. And that was quite interesting mm. because you framed it as investing in the drive rather than trying to create drive right because if it's not Mm. in them they can't create it how do you know if somebody is coachable or not or or, yeah at at what at what point do you decide they're not coachable because sometimes people resist it's a natural resistance in the minute in the moment but when you work past it they change and i just wonder from your own experience how do people what tools can they use to identify who's coachable and who isn't I think the most simple thing is to give feedback and see what happens the next time. And when I say Mm. give feedback, um, make sure you only give one or two things. The next time, this even in interview rounds, um, it's very common in IT sales to have multiple interview rounds. If you give feedback like, hey, this was good. uh, And then you give something to improve as well. And you can see whether in the next round, he or she, the candidate has actually listened Mm. to you, taken that advice. Then you can again, give them a bit like, okay, this was really good structured feedback and then say, okay, these are the things that, you know, Mm. you could do even to get your performance to an even better level. And obviously you're not expecting miracles, but the point is like, are they putting in that effort? And that's what you see also at work. It's not like I say like, oh, you need to do thing A that I expect that then everyone will remember to do the thing A every single time. But you can very quickly see that whether people are making the effort to go towards that direction Mm. or not and stick with their ways and don't care or don't see the benefits. So they're just not going to do it. That's that's Mm. a lot harder. So little by little, you can see if there's effort or not. Okay, Annette, I'm going to spin the wheel. Uh, As I mentioned to you, we've got a few questions on the wheel. I don't know what's Mm -hmm. going to come up. You don't know what's going to come up, so we'll take it. Uh, You can, of course, pass Mm -hmm. if you wish. There we go. What small, inexpensive activities and things make you unusually happy? Inexpensive activities. Just walking. Walking. Absolutely. Like, I used to do... Uh, I used to go for long runs, but unfortunately, like my knees don't like it that much anymore. But walking doesn't cost a penny. Find a nice forest or, as I'm from Kuopio, nice lakeside and just walk and enjoy the weather. And weather is just an excuse. It's all about what you wear. So even if it's the weather is not the nicest. I mean, I live in Finland. We have four season seasons. It's not summer all day. Yeah. You can still make it. Yeah. Yeah, as a friend of mine, he, this guy was a serious runner. Mm. He ran for Ireland cross wow. country marathons and so on. And uh, 
when I was doing my running, I saw him one night and he said, I'll never forget, he says, there's no such thing as bad weather, only weak minds. <laughs> but that is very true. I mean, like, every dog was, owner would get that. I mean, you have to get take the dog out no matter what the weather is. So it's the same. Like, if you can take the dog out, yeah. you might as well go for a run. So, you know, you're getting out anyway. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That was an easy question. I'm going to go for another one. So <laughs> it was too easy. Let's uh, get it here, Wallaby. Come again. Do oh, what too often goes wrong in conversation? What goes wrong? That's an interesting one. Yeah, all too often, what goes wrong in conversation? If you ask people outside of Nordic, the Nordics, it's probably just like you know that quiet cap gap. That's like everyone else hates it. Here in Finland, we're very comfortable with the silence. We don't mind. That's absolutely fine. Mm. You don't always have to be loud and speaking. But generally in conversations, okay, with your friends, you can probably talk about anything. But what I've learned, I do not speak about, well, I even speak about politics sometimes, but taxes. That's something I do not speak anymore. That came from Mexico. Like when I, you know, their system mm. is very different. And I think if you come from yeah. a well welfare uh, state, you're expected to have something in return, but we still like to complain about taxes. But after living in Mexico, I said, I'm never ever gonna complain about my taxes again, because I see what I get from them. And I know it's a tough conversation to have, uh, what you get in return. So I never go into that conversation ever anymore. That's interesting. Yeah, I never had that. That's because I, when I think about taxes again, Nobody, uh, well, I won't say nobody, most people, I would imagine, do not mind paying taxes if they feel that the money's been wisely mm -hmm. spent. It's been spent for the for everybody. It's there to help vulnerable. It's when it's been wasted. But that's not about the tax. Mm -hmm. That's that's about a lack of accountability mm -hmm. and, and, other, and other factors. But uh, I, I see, <laughs> even now I can see, yeah, why it's a wise move not to uh, yeah. discuss taxes too much. Yeah, because it's it's not the taxes. It's something that it leads somewhere else always very quickly. Um, what do you like to do when you're not working? Well, I have, <laughs> yeah, not walking. I also have a dog, so walking even more. Uh, but as I mentioned, kind of like you said, like how to prepare for the leadership role, studying as well. I do a lot of that on my free time. I read a lot, I study a lot, quite often about sales, leadership or other related topics. But now actually I'm enrolled in mm. courses about biology, chemistry and physics. So something completely outside of my comfort zone. But I think it's always mm. very important to, you know, keep on learning. You never know what happens in life. I'm pretty sure everything you learn will come to use at some point, even if it's like completely different. Um, area were you, were you always like that as a learner in school you were into into books no not at all uh, when i was younger i did not read at all even today i don't read any fantasy not at all i don't read any fantasy when i read it's all non-fiction absolutely mm. um so that's it i'm always basically mm. studying so i don't like reading and even mm. in school i was in elementary school, I was an okay student, 
but I think something changed in junior high and I started to get a sense of what I would like to do when I grow up. And I realized to get to those universities, I need to have good grades. And that kind of when it started shifting and it wasn't because, oh, I enjoyed uh, school or I was a student. It, it was because I had this goal in mind towards which I was, mm. you know, studying for. And I think that's actually a good thing in sales as well for sales leaders to understand why their individuals are cashing out their commission mm. checks. Because people typically don't do it just for the money, but the money is means to an end. Do they want a house? Uh, do they want something for the families? Do they want a new pad? Do they want to pay for their MBA study somewhere? Whatever it is, it's good to understand those motivators. Oh, for sure. It's, I, I think you're right. It's never the money. It's what the money represents yes. and what it means. Uh, I have to ask you about AI because it's such a, it's one of those topics these days. I, I, on any of the podcasts I do now, I bring it up because I think we're all trying to understand where it fits in and mm -hmm. where it's going because it's changing so rapidly. And once you think you understand it, it's moved on. Uh, what's your own experience of it in terms of where you see it being of value and where do you see it going and what that means for your yeah. world? Anywhere I can streamline processes with AI, fantastic. Anywhere I can use predictive AI, fantastic. So basically where it saves resources for me, where, when it makes mm. mine, mm. my time or someone else's time more valuable, that's fantastic. For me, what I see currently is that a lot of organizations are more afraid of it. It seems to be a trend. Everyone is very interested in it. But then to actually make investments in AI, I find people being a little hesitant. And I think it's partially also because a lot of organizations don't have any guidelines when it comes to AI. If you ask, like, can you mm. use ChatGPT at work? People are like, well, I am, but actually we don't have any any guidance on that, for example. So that's that's a very common scenario. Like everyone is using AI in some capacity but very few organizations have any guidelines on how to use them, what's appropriate. That's interesting. Yeah, I've heard that before. And I'm just trying to figure out why that is. Is it maybe they just don't understand it? I don't know. Um, do you have any fears over it? For me, no. I think I'm more, you know, optimistic. I see opportunities everywhere. That's how I like to see things. Mm. Um, so for me, I'm happy to try things out. If they don't work out, they don't work out. Uh, if something fails, we, you know, get up and get back to it, figure out, try something else. That's fine. But I don't think there will be kind of anything terrible and scary. That's not how I see it. It's just that some things work better than others. And until we get it, it's always a trial and error with everything we do. Mm. Mm. That's fair. If you were Minister for Education and you could make one subject mandatory in the high school secondary uh, education system, what would it be and why? It would be something very practical, absolutely something that helps you with your life. I mentioned the taxes, so, you know, taxation might not be a bad thing because in Finland, it's at least it's mm. every year and you need to know yourself what you can deduct, what you cannot, how it works. You do it all by yourself unless you want to 
pay to someone and it can be very simple but it can also be very tricky so i would take something that you know like taxation you have to do it and nobody tells you how to do it i would have said something about entrepreneurship or or anything like that kind of like being a self-starter uh how does it work if you want to start something of your own but i think nowadays at least in finland we are getting better at it. some schools are actually having courses high school uh, high school courses on entrepreneurship and things like that i think those are very important as well anything that can help you in life i don't think we need more theory we need more practice of your everyday what mm. you need to do mm. who inspires you that's a tough one That's a really tough one because I don't think there is one person uh, particular because I do admire a lot of people. I admire strong women within my my family and network and in general strong female figures. That's something that speaks to me. But um kind of like turning that around it's not so much about um looking up towards someone but what really really motivates me and inspires me in everything i do are my daughters everything i do is mm. for them for them to have a better place for them you know walk into a room and not feeling uncomfortable being a woman or the only woman or that they would never get those inappropriate comments Uh, or be afraid to walking down the street wherever they walk and they would be brave enough if if you know they decide when they go to college or whatever they decide to do that they want to go on the other side of the world mm. they would not you know say no because they are afraid so they are kind of my greatest inspiration in everything i do that's how i would frame it you mentioned a term a couple of times and i was curious to know how you might define it strong woman independent would be one i would say that it's it's essential that have people around you it's not about being alone but being comfortable in your own mm-hmm. skin and your own decisions and being able to stand mm-hmm. firm behind your values integrity is very important to me the people are treated fairly and well and i think everyone needs to be strong enough to you know stand behind what they believe in what they stand stand for and their values so being brave enough to be you do you and not do anything because you're supposed to fit a certain kind of a mold mm. so if com- what i'm hearing is confident uh assertive independent definitely would that be i think that's that's, that's fair enough of course like those are not the only things like you you need the counterpart of being having that you know compassion and and you know hmm. empathy uh, sorry i'm losing my words here but you know you need the soft sides as well but you need to still hmm. be able to make decisions of your own and and be able hmm. to voice your opinions even though it's it's tough i i kind of mad there are a lot of times when I'm quiet in the room and I'm wondering like if if this is okay or if this right or do I want to say something do I disagree or not it's not always easy definitely not and each one of us have 
are, you know, moments of doubts, even the strongest one of us. But、yeah. that's still the bottom line that I wish that we would feel comfortable enough to vo- have a voice. That's an interesting one because I think there's a really, really finely balanced edge there between being confident. Which is what、mm-hmm. we want, but also being confident in our silence、mm-hmm. that we're not perceived as somehow or another, not weaker, but、um, yeah, that we're somehow holding、mm-hmm. back. Because I'm, I'm a huge believer that if you don't have anything useful to say, don't say anything at all. But then I, I think you can also communicate your confidence and your strength just through your body language without having to speak.、Mm-hmm. So I think we speak without necessarily always having to use words. And, but it is a fine. To a fine balance in our no, let me take that back. I think it's actually a real skill、mm-hmm. being able to communicate the confidence without feeling the need to always have to declare it. It absolutely is. I think that's well put because that's something you can practice and train. I there are very few people、mm. who were born with such confidence and are that charismatic. <laughs> So in the end, as mentioned, what we are surrounded by that affects us, and we can every day, every day, trying to be better. We can be whether it's in sales to be better salespeople, whether it's in management, better leadership, but also that confidence in yourself is something that you can train. How you present yourself, how your body language is, what your、yeah. tone is, how much. Gap you leave between sentences if you have fillers. All these kind of things are things that you can train,、mm. and they make you appear more confident as well.、Mm. And and I think once you appear more confident, you get subconscious feedback that、mm-hmm. you are more confident, and then you. Act- I actually think that's the living embodiment of fake it till you make、yeah. it, which I don't like that phrase because it sounds inauthentic, and it's not. It's the process of.、Mm. Growing,、mm-hmm. and that in that process we're always going to feel a little bit uncomfortable as we're feeling our way through it, and that's not fake. That's just a process of growth. Yeah. Now, of course, there's a fine line. Some, you know. Okay, we get that.、Uh, tell me, what are you most proud of? What am I most proud of?、Um, if I'm gonna just leave, kind of like other people aside,、um, I've probably two things that I'm especially happy about. One is the fact that I was brave enough to go and explore the world. So I've lived in Mexico, Sweden, Ireland, and the UK, in addition to Finland, obviously. And I think that has had a huge impact on the way I am. And the second thing, obviously, are my my daughters, my two beautiful daughters.、Um, I'm extremely proud of them. I think they take a lot, but they also. Give a lot, as I mentioned. Like those, they are my everyday inspiration. So those would probably be the two things for me. Super. Three final questions to close us out, Rita.、Uh, let's play Desert Island. You're going to be marooned、mm-hmm. on a desert island. You don't know if you're ever going to be rescued. What one item? You can't take a person. It must be a thing. What one thing would you take with you? Um. Well, assuming that you know, yes, if family and everything is out of out of the question,、uh, you probably wouldn't do much 
obviously if there was a way to communicate like with a satellite phone or something like that with outside world that would probably be it but otherwise forgetting the practicalities i would probably go with something sentimental in a way like instead of having mm. a matches or something like that light a fire i would probably go with something sentimental um if i'm there alone maybe it's pictures of my family or something like that probably something with sentimental worth that's an interesting one the the typical answers to that question is they tend to be either practical or entertainment mm. related something to entertain you yours was unique the sentimental thing which is kind of making you feel emotionally secure and warm and yeah connected, connected is say, probably, probably what i would i would use connected. yeah 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 interesting well that maybe dovetails a little bit into the next question which is if your home were burning down and your of course your daughters are safe and your dog is safe and your phone of course is safe yeah. and your computer you have time to run back in and rescue one item what would it be i'd probably stick with the same sentimental value um obviously i don't think anything do you have one thing that you, if you had one thing of sentimental yeah. value that you could I to? think um, there's this one ring that has a special meaning to me. Um, it was a ring that my grandfather, who has now passed away, gave to my grandmother, who gave it to me. And that's something that I only wear it on special occasions. And it means the world to me. Like that sentimental value is probably way more than mm. the ring itself is, is valued for. But grandfather was really, really special. Mm. Uh, he was very, very, very close um, to me. Very, very, I, mm. I just miss him every day. That's just, let's put it that way. So I would probably pick, pick mm. that ring. Mm. Yeah. Connection is mm. something I've noticed in our conversation seems to be very important to you. Uh, final question that uh, I mentioned earlier, if you were to write a book, what would it be about? Mm. Um, no, I didn't actually. That was a question I meant to ask you. I beg your <laughs> pardon. So maybe I could just shoehorn that question in there. I it was in the back of my mind that I was, I thought, oh, I'll ask you that later. Uh, if you were to write a book, what book would it be? Or what would it be about? Um, what would it be about? That's a good question. I kind of have two topics in mind like either my uh, thesis work about was about female leaders in male-dominated industries i find that extremely fascinating i could write a book about the topic wouldn't mind but if i would go a bit beyond that the title would be around something like you only regret things you didn't do something like that so my message would be more around, you know, whatever you do in life, just try things out. It comes back to, for example, the strong women we thought we discussed about being able to follow your yeah. path. And it's not always linear. Your career path doesn't always have to be linear. Uh, or like, for example, I went 10,000 kilometers away to Mexico. It doesn't have to be like that. But I was brave enough to yeah. make that jump go to like, go and yes. just explore the world and i think they the things that we regret yeah. are those things that we are do afraid to do and and try yeah you mentioned two books the first one was based on your thesis what would the message of that book be 
I wish the message would be that we are now living an equal society, but unfortunately, that's that's not real reality. In 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 reality, I think the message would be somewhere along the line that diversity is the future. It's not. It's just. It's not just benefit, or it's not. It's not benefit. It's not cost. It's it's not anything like that. But it's the future. It's it's mandatory. Okay. I'm curious because certainly from where I, um, we perceive Nordic countries to be the most egalitarian countries on the planet. Um. So, the the comment then it's. I'm curious to know what's missing for you. You said it's not like that. You mm -hmm. wish it were like that. What's missing? What's what? What is yet to happen? Yeah, you're absolutely correct in a way that Finland is a forerunner, like forefront in the forefront in this, and Nordics in general are very very good. But I think now this is gonna this comment I'm gonna hear from this. But let's be brutal. Being the best from worst, like bad <laughs> like basically like being being the best in a bunch of like poor performers mm. is not good and what i mean by that that every single country has so much to do in this it doesn't matter how you do it but there are still a lot of things like even in a country like finland where we do have a good support network for example for families I've still unfortunately seen uh, pregnancy discrimination or parental leave discrimination. And if I can see things like that, and very often that is towards women, well, pregnancy obviously, but quite often the primary daycare, um, caretaker for the first few months at least is the woman, the mother. Uh, and very often women are still uh, penalized over these things. And if I can see these things, unfortunately, in some occasions happening in Finland, which is supposed to be one of the best when it comes to gender equality, mm. it's for sure is happening elsewhere as well. So these are things that I think we should pay more attention and even sometimes have legislation so that it would be very transparent. It couldn't vary from company to company, but there are minimum requirements so that men and women and anything else as well, anyone else are on the same line one way or another. Final question. I asked you if you write a book, what would it be? Now, if there's a book written about your life, what would you like the title of it to be? Um, this is after you're gone. You've left this planet. You've left. And there's a book written about your life. What would you like it to be? What would you like the title of it to be? What I would like it to be, I don't know if it yet is, but I would like it to be that she lived, she lived a life with no regrets. That's how I would like it to be. Kind of related to the previous one that, you know, you only regret the things you don't do. So I would like the, my book yes. to be that. You know, I, I did the things that I, I wanted. I, I made it happen one way or another or uh, jumped jumped to the for the opportunities that came, at least if I wanted to. And I did not say no because of someone else or being afraid. I don't know if I'm there yet, mm. but that's definitely towards what I would like to be, you know, working towards.
Makes sense. Nessa Hutton, thank you so much for being my guest today. It's been an absolute joy having you on the podcast. Thank you, Paul. It's been a pleasure. Definitely.